Hello everyone and welcome to Fortress Survival, where we help you prepare your fortress wherever that happens to be. I'm your host, Joel Riles, and today is our very first podcast on this uh, topic, and I wanted to kind of introduce the podcast, who the heck I am, and why you would even want to listen, and then let you know a little bit about where we are planning to take these topics in the future. Um, There's a lot of preparedness types of podcasts coming out right now. Uh, or getting more popular right now because of all the craziness going on with Corona and the election and everything else. And I kind of feel like a lot of the podcasts are still stuck in almost like the Y2K preparedness model. Uh, And it's probably been mostly the, the prepper type model for a long time, which is, you know, you need to get out of the cities you need to you know, stock up all this stuff, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be prepared for whatever happens, whatever comes your way. And, uh, and there's a lot of issues with that methodology of thinking. It's not that that's not generally true, because in general, it kind of is, but it's number one, it's not very long-sighted in terms of preparedness. Uh, number two, it doesn't really address what if nothing happens, right? Or what if uh, some semblance of normalcy continues? Because there's always changes, always shifts happening that we're having to adjust and and accommodate. But a lot of times, you know, the idea and the premise behind a lot of the topics that are discussed is, oh, this is the end. This is the collapse. It is only going to get worse. And it's like, well, maybe, but maybe not. You know, uh, in our current situation, if you happen to be on the conservative side or on the side of, hey, I'd rather not live in a communist country, then you probably uh, are hoping that Trump gets elected. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, if Trump gets elected, the riots are going to get worse and the left is going to buckle down and blah, blah, blah. Or Trump could activate the National Guards around the country, squash all the protests, because now he doesn't have to worry about a re-election campaign issue and actually take care of the situation and we go back to some level of normalcy. I'm not saying that is gonna happen, but I'm not saying it's not gonna happen. We don't know what's going to happen. And so I tend to have a much more broad spectrum kind of an approach to things where I say, we don't know, I don't know where you live. I don't know what your current level of preparedness is. I don't know what your current level of training experience and skill set is. So I would much rather address getting you ready to deal with whatever you have to deal with. And then here are some things that you can do to, to help you along that road. Then to try and foretell the future with you know any level of accuracy. I'd rather say, okay, so I see like these five different potential scenarios as a generalized scenarios. Let's make sure we're prepared as we can be for whichever one of them happens, right? Because we don't want to end up in a situation where we've gone, you know, oh, this is definitely going to be the end. And then essentially nothing happens and we go, oh, well, that was a total waste of time, right? So your preparedness, your... um, you're developing your plans should work for you no matter what happens. They should make your life better no matter what happens. 
They should enrich you no matter what happens, right? They should give you more confidence and more peace of mind no matter what happens. So let's not get totally focused or you're hyper, you know, worried about X, Y, or Z. And we will go through and we'll talk about different topics. We'll talk about what happened with coronavirus, what's likely to happen with it. We'll talk about the election. We're going to talk about all of those sorts of things. But I wanted to get started with our very first episode. Number one, who the heck am I and why should you listen? Well, really, I'm nobody. I'm just a normal guy. So if you're looking for some ultra high speed Navy SEAL Delta Force operator, uh, that's not me. Uh, But I was in the Army for about 15 years, 12 years active duty, about three years combined between National Guard and Reserve time. Um, Not going to go into all of the ins and outs of active duty, uh, but basically I was at the Pentagon right after 9-11. We got quote-unquote deployed there as part of uh, Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, Then we, um, or no, that was Noble Eagle. Then we got deployed to Afghanistan for Enduring Freedom. Uh, Then I got out of the military, went into the National Guard for a little while because I was trying to go Special Forces and it just happened to be in the peak of the housing market so I couldn't um, find a house that we could afford. We we were supposed to temporarily live with my parents for like three to six months while we purchased a house and like a trailer in the middle of a trailer park was like $120,000 and I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. So ultimately I went back into active duty. Uh, went to Iraq in 2007-2008, uh, then went to Alaska and basically uh, wrapped up my time in the Army in Alaska. I, uh, I did do a deployment to Bogota, Colombia, uh, spent time with the Mill Group there working in the embassy in, um, in Bogota. And so what that has given me that I think a lot of the prepping community or at least the, the voices in the prepping community is I've seen different countries run different ways at different levels of what we might call a quote-unquote collapse and it's not what almost everybody makes it out to be and so because of that I think there's a lot of issues with a lot of the mentality that come with you know this runoff into the rural areas you know buy yourself a little homestead and a, and a bug out location and all this kind of stuff and I'm not saying those are bad ideas but everybody acts like if you just do that then you're good to go and that is just simply not the case there is no such thing as if you just do X Y and Z you're good to go that doesn't exist in the real world okay that's a fantasy and the left is is famous for the imagination and the fantasy worlds they create about these socialist utopias that never come to be. And then we say, you know, it never works. It sounds great, but it never works. You know, look at um, Venezuela, look at Cuba, look at Russia, look at China, right? There's always this this utopian ideal that ends up murdering millions of people, right? And we, we point at the left and we say, see, those guys... Like they're not in reality. They're, they just make this crap up. But then we turn around and we do the same thing. And we say, if we can just run off into the, the rural utopia and get our little bug out locations and have our farmsteads, then everything will just be okay. Everything will just work out. That's that's an imaginary fantasy land too. Okay? The, there is no perfect solution. Just wrap your head around that. There is no perfect solution. Okay? I deal with this. I also run a, a podcast called 
Protection Dog Podcast, and my business is a company called Fortress Canine, and I have a Canine Academy online, and I train dogs. And our primary focus is training dogs for personal protection, but we do a lot of other dog training as well. But everybody wants these perfect solutions in in self-defense, right? How do I defend against a knife attack without getting cut? How do I defend against three guys attacking me without getting punched? How do I, you know, be able to always draw my gun first and win every gunfight without any risk of being shot? And those are fantasy worlds. Those are fantasy worlds. In a violent world, you will experience violence. Embrace it. Because if you go into that world imagining in your mind that there's not going to be violence, imagining in your mind you're never going to get hit, you're never going to get cut, you're never going to get shot at, you're never going to get bit by a dog, you're never going to get hurt in some way, then when it happens psychologically, you, you go, oh no, all of my plans just fell apart, right? Now they didn't all really just fall apart, but psychologically it has that effect. You go, oh no, everything I did failed me because I thought I was never going to get hit or never going to get punched or I thought a family member was never going to die or be kidnapped, right? That kind of stuff happens and it doesn't matter whether you live in the country or whether you live in the city. In fact, what typically happens is in the initial stages of a collapse, the countrysides are generally a little better off because it's harder to manage the countrysides, right? It takes a lot of resources to go out and spread those resources out all over the place because there's not as many people out there and try and control the countrysides when the cities start going chaotic. So usually the cities go chaotic, whatever level of government and control there is, tries to keep that under control and they largely ignore the rural areas, which if in the rural areas you have decent folks, generally tends to work out nicely in those areas in the initial stages of a breakdown. But then what everybody wants to ignore is what about these long-term breakdowns, the, the long-term view of the breakdown, right? So Bogota, Colombia, well, Colombia in general is a really good example of this. So Colombia is most famously known for its cocaine production and all of that kind of stuff. And so the United States kind of went in and assisted the government of Colombia in establishing some level of order. And we haven't heard a lot about it for the last like 20 years. Uh, it used to be a big thing in the 80s, right? All, you know, there was all this talk about the, uh, the drug lords and all that kind of stuff in Colombia and the rest of the United States and all of this. And then we generally kinda, eh, maybe a little bit got the country under control. And so it stopped making the news, but that's not what really happened. So what really happened is the we came in and assisted their government in getting their cities somewhat under control because that's where they could amass their forces, right? That's where they could amass their influence and their power is in the cities. And so the cities largely became safe places to be and live. So a lot of the people from the countrysides came back into the cities. But what happened is the countrysides got left largely unpoliced. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, us and our buddies, you know, we're gonna take care of everything and blah, blah, blah. Well, and I'm not saying you that that's not a possibility, but what happened in the rural areas in Colombia is the FARC took them over. And I'm not saying the FARC has a consistent presence in all of the little areas out there. What happens though is those areas are all largely terrorized by the FARC and the government doesn't have the resources or the power to come out and assist 
right? And the people don't have the weaponry, the organization, the everything else that they need to be able to, to push back against the FARC. And so the FARC roll into a little town or they roll into an area where there's, you know, 10, 15 farms and they just come take what they want. They come kidnap their sons to recruit them into the military uh, that they have, you know, their version of the military. And so the, the people out there suffer hugely in that way, right? Their children are taken from them. They're, a lot of their resources are taken from them. And then they just leave. And so they don't take everything. So they're able to get their farm going again. They're able to do X, Y, and Z. But now their son's been taken or their daughter was raped by, you know, 20 guys or whatever it is that happened, right? Happened while they were there and it was terrible. And then they just move on. And it might be two or three or five years before they come back or it could be next week. And they don't know. They don't know when they're going to come back. And they don't have the resources or the power to resist them. Right? So some of these podcasts that I listen to, they're like, oh yeah, me and my buddies, we're going to live on our, our farmstead. And when that motorcycle gang of guys comes up, we're going to take care of them. Right? Well, maybe. Right? But how many times can you do that? Because there's not just one motorcycle gang out there. There's not just one group of people that are going to join together, join their forces and just go around and take what they can to survive. And so every time you get hit, there's a very good possibility you're gonna lose somebody. You're gonna lose one, two, three, five guys every time you get hit. Number one, you got the psychological effect of losing all your friends in combat. Number two, you're probably not getting very many reinforcements, right? Because in that environment, you're really slow to trust people. You're really slow to bring people into your group. And so you're, you're probably not getting a lot of reinforcements. How long can you do that? And again, I'm not saying don't go to the country, but I'm also not saying that's your only option. You have to flee all the cities. Now, again though, the reality is the cities in the first place in the early stages were very harsh and chaotic. But again, it's not like the city went into chaos and then all of a sudden there were zero people left in the city. Okay, the cities go into chaos, it sucks, bad things happen just like they would happen long-term in the rural areas, right? Maybe, uh, you know, gangs get together and go through apartment complexes and go through city blocks and are doing the same thing that they were doing to the farms, but they're doing it in these congested areas. The police are all home taking care of their own families, right? And so things are bad. But the bottom line is, if things get bad, they get bad. There's nothing you can do about it. And just being in one place doesn't solve all your problems. So you need to start thinking much more broadly, much more how do I defend against large groups? How do we bring people into our um, into our group if we need to in a bad situation when it's really hard to trust people, right? What are the kind of the steps to step them in? Um, so I'm, I'm hoping in this podcast to bring unique experiences into the imagination of the potential possibilities that we're preparing for, uh, to bring in new perspectives and perceptions, right? Because in Afghanistan, they had zero power and they had what we would call warlords. And the warlords did largely take advantage of the people when there was an opportunity to do that, such as around Bagram Airfield, the warlords would send their people that were in their governance on to Bagram to do work. And then they would basically tax them on their way out. They would collect however much of their money that they made while they were on there, probably like 80% of it, leave them just a little bit so that they can get some stuff for their families and go back in. But 
we all look at those warlords and we're like, oh, those bastards, they were stealing from their people. But for them, in their environment, in their situation, that was their best option because that was how they were protected from the other warlords, right? So just because we in America call them a warlord and we look at them and say, well, they're more harsh than our current government is for the most part, although that's somewhat debatable depending on how you look at all the regulations and everything else. We're, we're like in a coffin of velvet and they're in a coffin of nails. So it's just a matter of comfort rather than actual harshness. But you look at how the warlords treated them, but what the warlords did not in the best way, I don't think, but still the effect was they brought a level of normalcy back to that little village, that little environment, right? They're the, usually people that stay in a local area, such as a village or a little town or something like that, and gain governance there, they usually are not the way that they're presented in the movies, where they're this harsh person that's just taking advantage of people all the time and blah, blah, blah. They're usually a lot more like the elite, kind of like the old class system that we imagine in medieval times, right? You have a king and all the vassals. And the king, if he, or the little lord or whatever he is in that area, if he's overly harsh in these environments, there's not some greater king that's going to come help him out, right? So if he's over harsh, he gets overthrown and somebody else steps in. So he takes as much advantage of the situation as he can. He ends up being kind of the richest guy around. But he also has to take care of his people or he loses his position. So it's this, this balance that he has to maintain because it, you know there's only like 100 people in the village. Well, if he tries to put 50 of them in his little army, how does he supply all the food and everything else, right? Everybody has to be out farming. Everybody has to be out you know, doing whatever it is they're doing to help bring in the resources. And then he's just siphoning off the top of that and then helping to govern with his 10 or 15 guys. But there's still like 80 other people who aren't you know, the, the loyal soldiers of the warlord. And so there is still some level of normalcy that develops there. I'm not saying it's the ideal situation or I'd wanna live in it. I'm just saying it's not this you know, oppression that everybody wants to pretend that happens in these environments. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen sometimes, but a lot of times it's not like that. A lot of times these people genuinely care for the people they're trying to take care of. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't say, I'm taking care of you, so you need to give me 20, 30, 50% of what you're making. I'm just saying it's not a, these are all my slaves and I'm in charge of everybody. Because that only works when you roll into an area and roll out of an area, right? Because if you stay there for very long, those people are gonna rise up and push you out. And so the perspectives and the perceptions of what's going to happen are usually not what people think. And even when they get it right, a lot of times it works out like this. Like they get one potentiality right. Is that a word, potentiality? If it's not, I just made it up. I want credit for it. They get one version of something that probably will happen somewhere right, but then there's a hundred other places where something happens completely differently. Right? And so, again, we need to start looking at the broad spectrum, the, the bigger picture. Because you could live in the most ideal environment, rurally, where you have like 
you know, kind of a coalition of farmsteads that are all going to come to each other's aid and they all have these big bells that they can ring if there's ever any trouble and they, they collectively work together to keep like a watch on the surrounding areas and all this kind of stuff and a you know 200 person motorcycle gang could roll in and wipe you out or you could be in in a, the middle of a city and have a little group of people that got together and took over six city blocks and secured them and made them protective and planted gardens on all the rooftops and 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 you're in a way better situation than the guys out in the country okay and then the complete opposite could happen. You could be in the country and have the most ideal situation and never get touched, never get messed with. All of your security measures work perfectly. Or you could be in the middle of the city and try to set something up and have all your people wiped out. Okay? So try not to wrap your mind into one single thing is going to happen. We want to do that because it's comfortable. It's comfortable to say, well, when the collapse comes, this is what's going to happen. And then we're going to prepare for that one thing that's going to happen because we know exactly what's going to happen when the collapse comes. First of all, the collapse may never come, at least not in the way we envision it, right? Novels make these things sound all crazy and, and extreme because that's what's interesting to read about and it sells. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it's going to happen. In fact, it's probably not going to happen the way anybody came up with it because nobody knows the future and even if there's a collapse in one part of the country there the rest of the country could still be largely normal maybe just the west coast collapses and the middle of the country all their states and governments and everything they adjust and tweak but they largely stay solid and the whole state develops a militia to keep the roving bandits from california oregon and washington out who knows who knows what's going to happen that's the point don't know what's going to happen. So think long term. Long term, what's going to what might happen initially? And we're going to go over how to develop all these plans and these things. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it here. I'm just trying to give the broader perspective, the 30,000 foot overview. Have balance. Things could get really bad or things could stay normal and everything in between. Right? Balance out what we're talking about. Don't get stuck on this hyper crazy uh, idea that, oh, everything's just gonna immediately fall apart tomorrow. Or we're gonna have hyperinflation 300% every day and it's gonna start next month or it's gonna start at the election or every city in the country is gonna riot and burn down if Trump wins or if Trump loses or whatever. All these people that run around saying they know exactly what's gonna happen, they don't. They don't, right? And what I've found, I've been a prepper for about 30 years, is everything that every major prepper has ever said was going to happen didn't right now i'm not saying that it couldn't have there i was like oh yeah that could definitely happen and for a long time i would get all wrapped up into it oh y2k everything's going to collapse and it was definitely a potential disaster and businesses and government put millions and probably hundreds of millions and probably billions of dollars into averting that disaster and that the only reason it didn't happen was because they did that. They recognized, whoa, this is a really, really big problem. Our financial structure could very potentially collapse if we don't fix this issue. They did something about it and they fixed it, right? And whether you like government, whether you hate government, whether you like the, the institutions that have been established within the government or hate them, 
the one thing you really have to give them is they're pretty decent at holding it all together. I don't like how they do it. I don't want them to be set up in the structure that they're set up. They've, they've long since abandoned the constitutional model. They just kind of hang on to a little remnant of it to keep people going. And certain aspects of it have, I think, contributed to the longevity of our nation and, and holding things together as well as they have. But somehow, the financial market has held together thus far. Right? And we've had multiple times when it's like, whoa, it's hanging on by a thread. And everybody's like, it's going to collapse, it's going to collapse. And it didn't. Right? That, that doesn't mean it couldn't. It just means stop always thinking the next collapse is right around the corner. The next major disaster is right around the corner. Think balanced and long-term. That means don't go into debt. Don't second mortgage your house. Don't do crazy shit. Calm down. If you're just starting, calm down. We're gonna go over in the next couple episodes, we're gonna go over kind of my foundational perspective on prepping, what you can do right off the bat. And then as we get going, we'll think more and more um, broad across the board, okay? But everybody needs to just relax a little bit. The panic in the right, especially among the prepper community, and I'm sure there's preppers in other communities, but that's just the one I'm most familiar with. But the panic among the prepper community does not help us out. Okay, stop panicking. And I'm not saying don't listen to certain people because there are certain people I really respect who are mostly balanced and every once in a while they go panic and it's like chill, chill. Like even if there's something really bad happening, panic is not the solution. Panic is never the solution. Okay, if chaos is raining around you, calm is the solution. Make good decisions, calm down, and we'll talk about inoculating yourself to stress and a lot of those other things that will allow you to do that in upcoming episodes pretty shortly here, okay? So what are some of the topics that we're going to be discussing? Well, you know, most of prepping, uh, most people's vision of it is the stuff, right? Get the stuff. You know, get the food, get the water, get the weapons and the ammo and the, you know, solar panels and the, all the stuff, the stuff, stuff, stuff that you need. And there is certainly stuff that you need or stuff that you should have. I won't even say you need it because there's going to be ton, tons of people that survive a collapse that weren't prepared. They did a crappy job. They didn't prepare for anything and somehow they make it through. And we're going to talk about why those people make it through and the reason those people are the reason I say, you know, this prepper mentality of if I just do X, Y, Z, everything will be okay for me is crap. And why a lot of people who don't prepare the way we might say is the proper way, quote unquote, still survive, okay? But, but there are things that if you get these things, it's probably gonna make your life a lot better. And so we're gonna talk about priorities of purchase. What are the first things you should get? The second things you should get? And then kind of like the tertiary things that you should get. We're gonna talk about the priorities of skill sets. And primarily the priorities of protection skill sets, I think is your first because your, your most dangerous threats are the attack type threats. Whether it's kidnappings, whether it's uh, robberies and burglaries, or whether it's full on like gangs attacking you, right? So we, we're gonna talk about priorities of protection skill sets. 
Then we're gonna talk about the priorities of what I'm gonna call homestead skill sets. But that doesn't mean that you need to be out in the rural area. It basically means you need to be able to provide your basic needs. You need to have the skill sets to do that. So growing food, keeping animals, um, getting, finding and purifying water, right? All of those sorts of things. So we will get into that. And there's, there's so many broad spectrum and tangents to go off into all those areas. And uh, we will start working on and discussing and building into a lot of those areas as we go. But uh, then we're also gonna get into some of the specific ideas on direct actions that you can be taking to be prepared wherever you are, okay? Wherever you are. So as a general rule, I don't think living in the middle of a city is a good idea. But a lot of the preppers out there are saying, get out of the cities, get out of the cities, no matter what, get out of the cities right now. But if your job requires you to live in the city and you have to quit your job to move to the country, go into hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to buy some little place to live out there, and your idea is, well, everything's gonna collapse anyway, so I'm not gonna have to worry about this mortgage and paying off these credit cards that I racked up to buy all my stuff and blah, blah, blah. There's a really good chance that's only gonna last a year, maybe two, and then they're gonna be evicting you off that property, repossessing it, and you're gonna live in poverty, or you're gonna to have to go back to the city or whatever. And it may be that we're good now, but in two years is when the disaster is gonna strike. Two years is when everything is actually gonna collapse. We don't know when that's gonna happen, right? So again, if you can improve your situation from a location perspective, you should do that. But if you can't, you should do what you can wherever you are. And then you prepare yourself as best you can with the things that you need, and more importantly, with your skill sets and mentality to be able to survive and thrive wherever you find yourself. And there is no one right answer. That's kind of probably the biggest takeaway and the biggest thing we're gonna be going over and over and over again in this podcast is there is no one right answer. Everybody wants one right answer because one right answer makes us feel good and it doesn't exist. It's a make-believe world. No matter what you do, no matter how well prepared you are, it could all be taken away in a second. And no matter how crappily you prepare yourself from a, you know, all of the quote unquote right things to do, you could end up being the most productive and um, successful quote unquote person in the collapse. Because there is so much more to thriving and surviving in those environments than the stuff that you have, or the place that you live, or the whatever it is, one thing you think is important, okay? Survival and making yourself successful in whatever environment you find yourself in is a balance of multiple things, and that's what we're going to try and focus on in this podcast. So we will talk about food production. We will talk about water storage and, and collection. We will talk about night vision and weapons and defensive tactics and team movements and all of that kind of stuff, but it's no one thing that guarantees survival. It's no one thing that guarantees success. It's how well can you adapt to whatever happens and how can you start preparing yourself now to be able to adapt 
to whatever happens. All right, so I'm excited to be launching this. Uh, I've already got like the first 12 episodes all mapped out. Uh, we'll be recording those and this should be going live. I'm, I'm intending to make like the first five or six episodes all live all at the same time. So when you hear this, you should be able to go right through uh, the first several episodes and then they will start coming out weekly after that. So uh, I don't yet have a cute little closing line for you. So I will just say, uh, relax, prepare, get ready. Things could get bad or things could continue on pretty much the same as they always have. And I want you to be successful no matter what happens. See you next time.